Uh, it is just yours. We talked about everybody. I know everybody in this building now. There is no one I'm not acquainted with. You may not know me, but I know you. He just shared stories. We had a great time. He talked about things in the past and what the church has done. I learned a little bit about Ford Motor Company yesterday and all of those years. I, I just learned, I just had a great time. And we, we'd talk about what happened in this place in Michigan and there. And we talked about fishing. Can you believe he talked about fishing yesterday? We just had a great time and it was wonderful. And he talked about the church going through transition. I knew your your previous pastor who now serves in the district office or network office, I guess we call it up here. And a uh, new pastor coming in, young man. He said young wife, young family with teenagers on one end and toddlers on the other end. He said they are messed up, pastor. You got to pray for them. They got a tough road to hoe. I don't know how they're going to pull this off. And I said, oh, God, help them. I remember uh, my spread wasn't that big. Obviously, yours is unique. The beauty of having that much experience in the pastor is that he has the ability to build a church for the teenagers and the toddlers at the same time because he has to raise his own kids in that church. And so you're, it's your advantage, and it's the advantage of the neighborhood to say, our pastor has teenagers and toddlers. <laughs> and so... They're right up there with Abraham, and Isaac was 13 when the next one was born. I don't know, so we'll figure that out later. What an honor. What a neat time. Anytime, anytime God is ready to do something, well, not anytime, many times, let's say it that way, God is ready to do something new, he brings in new leadership. That's not unusual. It's not that something was wrong with the old, but God's ready to move to a new level and a new expression, a new thing. And often those of us, I know when we left our church, our, the last church we pastored in Saxe, God uh, had done some great things there. He was ready to do some new things. New leaders came in. New things have happened. It's phenomenal what God did after I left. As a matter of fact, it's embarrassing. Why didn't I get more done while I was there when I saw what God was able to do once he shifted leaders? And yet he had a plan for me somewhere else, just like he does for your incredible previous pastor. And now you have this incredible new young man. You know, something happens, something happens, two things happen when we shift gears like that. One is the new young, the new leader. And I keep calling him young because to me, he's a kid. My kids are older than him. So you know how that is. But, but we have this new young leader coming in who is probably, he's probably like Samuel was when his mama would bring him new clothes every year. When she first brought them, they were a little too big for him. And sometimes he felt a little swallowed up by the responsibility and the opportunity. But that's the incredible opportunity to grow like you've never grown before. And we make room for that. We get that. But the other thing is, Samuel brought something to that house that that house needed. And without Samuel, the next revival would have been missed. And it was a divine shift and a divine moment. And I see that same thing happening so both, both your, your pastor couple and the church win in these kind of transitions. Let's just keep them in prayer. Amen? Just keep them in prayer. And keep praying, God, oh God, everything you brought him here to do, do. And everything he needs from you, give it to him. And let us be a, a, an effective participant in the process as we watch God do what he's about to do. Well, that's not my sermon. <clears throat> that's, just, uh, that's just me. Because I've been there and done that. And God bless you guys. So I'm going to tell you, your worship team knocked it out of the park at the men's retreat. We had a blast. They were good. They were dynamic. You've got to 
What a great team. What a blessed church you are that you get to have that level of worship all the time. And we did it again this morning. You guys are incredible. I appreciate all of that, and I appreciate the opportunity to be here today. I'm going to, let's just jump right into the Word. Are you ready? They told me you'd like to get out at 1130. Or, they said it happened two years ago, and they're hoping it'll happen again. That's kind of how I heard it, according to Chuck. I'm not sure how true that is, but, but uh, he, he set me up. He said, you can preach as long as you want, but we're not staying. So uh, I said, I love you, Chuck. This is going to be a great time. We're going to have a lot of fun at your house. I can tell that. And then he did say, if you leave at 1130, we'll take you to lunch. Otherwise, we're going by ourselves. So I, I, I just feel the pressure to hurry up here. So I want to jump into Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Oh, boy, that's just start at the beginning. My goal is to preach the whole Bible in the next. No, that's not true. <laughs> Genesis, I wish my wife was here. You'd love her. She's, she obviously doesn't travel with me to men's retreats, but her, uh, her, she also, her, her, one of her older sisters. My wife comes from a family of 17 children. Yeah, that's, what, that's always the response we get. And uh, she's number 16. So I thank God mom held in there as long as she did, or I wouldn't have had Rita. I asked mom one time, I said, they tell me it hurts to have kids. Obviously, I don't know, but it, boy, I've watched it a couple of times, and it looks like it's painful. Why in the world would you do it 17 times? That's my question. She said, actually, after 10, it's not that bad. She said, most women just chicken out early. That's her opinion. And so I, I don't know. 17 kids in the same family. What, they, they live across the lake uh, in uh, Tomo, Wisconsin. So they're, they're a part of this northern world. And first time I went back there was in the wintertime after we were married. And, and it was 20 below zero that morning when we got up. And I said, let's go back to Texas. Uh, not, not real hard for me to figure out people shouldn't live up here. And uh, so we ended up falling in love with that family, and we loved Wisconsin. We fell in love with the north, but not the weather. You can keep that cold weather. I'm telling you, this Texas boy didn't know what to do. So that's my wife. I wish she could have been here. You would have loved her. She, uh, but again, her older sister in her 80s and lived a great life, and they went to celebrate her passing yesterday, and she was there. So she says, hello, and uh, maybe next time, but God bless you. Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. What an incredible setup for the beginning of our story with God. Verse 3, he said, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness, and he called the light day and the darkness. He called night, and there was evening, there was morning, the first day, light. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, there's so much we're going to learn today, and there's so much that I've got in me that's too much for one service. I'm just asking you, guide me. The right things need to be said, and we don't need to chase off after things that aren't important to these people in this moment. Help us, God. Lead us. You're so good at it. And give us a heart to understand and grasp what you're saying to us individually. That we hear the message from God that is uniquely designed just for us by the power of your anointing. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. The initial moment of light 
is incredible in the scriptures. It's a powerful, powerful thing that happens when he says, let there be light. And you have to understand that to get the dynamic of this, you have to understand that he did not create the, create the sun until, the, until later on in the creation process on the fourth day. So he creates light before he creates a host for it. Is that making sense so far? And it's still so powerful that he separates it from darkness and creates morning and evening. And yet there was no sun and there was no moon to reflect the sun's glory and, and, and shine back in the night. None of that was in place yet. And yet God said, let there be light. And there was light. And, and I love what Henry Blackaby said. If you read his stuff, he's pretty good. Henry Blackaby, in his study of that, he said, I've, I've come to one conclusion, that what God created that day was an enemy to the darkness, an opponent to darkness. Because the story begins now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the face of the deep. Darkness was in charge. Darkness ruled. Darkness had the power. And so then when he says, let's look past the darkness, what do we see? Well, we see formlessness. We see emptiness. We see all kinds of things that happen in the darkness because darkness is in charge. And God said, the first thing we need to do is create an opponent for the darkness. And he declared light. And suddenly darkness could not reign unabated. Darkness could no longer just be in charge and rule and reign and do what it would. Now it had a worthy opponent, a powerful opponent, that anywhere the light is, darkness just can't be. That's how God started our story. It's pretty powerful when you realize that when he begins to tell the story of God and man... He starts it with this divine moment and teaches us the importance of light. As a matter of fact, if we were to take the time to just walk through the Scripture and look at his, his use of the word light as sometimes an example, sometimes an explanation, sometimes an understanding, we, we could go all day, never even leave that topic. As a matter of fact, when we get to Jesus and John's writing about Jesus, what's the first thing he says right up front? He said, he was the light and the darkness comprehended him not. Jesus is the light of the world. In the same way that light became the opponent of darkness and defeated darkness, Jesus becomes the opponent of sin and Satan and the devil and walks and reigns. So when God has an enemy, he doesn't just necessarily destroy the enemy. He just gives a good opponent for that enemy. Sometimes in our life, we're praying for God to create, op create a destruction of all of our enemies and defeat them and drive them out and wipe them out. And it's not time for that. There's a moment for that. But right now, a little enemy in our life can be good for us. Well, that's a whole other message. And, and I'm simply going to say this, that I know that you weightlifters out there know that if you don't have a little opposition, you can't increase your strength. It's the opposition that gives you the, the ability to mature and develop and become, to gain strength and become better. You take away the opposition. They say that when they shoot these guys up into space and let them orbit and let them go to the moon and do all of this, they spend a number of days without any kind of gravity pulling against them. And they come back weaker than they left because without opposition, we become a weak church. So when we see the opposition increasing, don't get all uptight about it. That means we're about to increase. When we see the thing getting more difficult, that means we're about to become more powerful because it's that opposition that allows us to become who God called us to be. So God didn't destroy the enemy. He just gave it opposition. Hmm. The difference is greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. 
that's the power and the way of our God to work this way. Now, when we get to the end of the Bible, I told you I was going to preach the whole thing. Revelation 22, verse 4 says, They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. They will reign forever and ever. So he starts our story in total darkness, and he ends our story in total light. And the story of man and God in the middle is the battle between the light and the darkness. And don't you know that you are the light that is set on a hill, the lamp that should not be covered up? How powerful is this? Wow. I'm not preaching on that, but if I were, it would be a good message. No, I am. I'm kidding. So the battle between the two has begun. We begin to understand the power of light, the power of seeing like we have never seen before. Proverbs 29, 18 uses a great statement. It's a powerful sermon all by itself. It says, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraints, take wrong turns, make bad decisions, ultimately perish is the word. But he that keeps the law, and the law, what is it? It's the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path. It's the word that God has given us to illuminate our way, to illuminate our understanding, to bring us the ability to see. If he that keeps the word, the law of God, happy is he. He said, I've given you a light. Use it. I've given you the ability to shine down the path and see what's coming. Turn the light on. I've given you the ability to look in front of you before you take a step and have a little revelation come to you of what's actually there. But if I give you the Bible and you don't read it, it's like giving you the light on a dark night and not turning it on. What wisdom is that? I've given it to you. Get your Bible out and get up every morning and don't start your day till you turn the light on. Don't begin to do anything till the light is shined before you. Don't make a decision till you've turned to the Word of God. I've given you a lamp for your feet and a light for your path. What, what kind of person would have a light and not turn it on and then complain later because they tripped over something? That's not in the message either, but it would fit. <laughs> the stuff I don't preach is sometimes better than what I do. See, that spiritual illumination, when God says, let there be light, is, is an illumination that brings revelation. It lets you see what you could not know. It lets you understand what you could not have otherwise grasped. It, lets, it's, it just shows you things that have been hidden in the dark. It reveals the emptiness. It reveals the messiness. It reveals the dysfunction. It turns the light on. I've discovered that when the light comes on, there are three things that are revealed in the moment of the revelation of light. Number one, I'm revealed. Not the thing I think I am or I wish I was, but me, the real me, as I am. Light comes on, and I see stuff in me, and I say, God, could you turn the light off? I don't want to see that. And God said, the problem with me is I can see in the dark. And I have to look at it all the time. So I'm turning the light on so you can see it. The process of God, when God first turns the light on, is usually a little discouraging because God shows us the truth. And we don't like the truth as much as we say we like truth. We know that if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. But we didn't want to be free that bad. 
And so this moment when God turns the light on in our life and we begin to see the things we don't like, the temptation is to step back out of the light because we don't want to deal with it because we know that now we've seen it, we become responsible for it. But that's the beginning of revelation. The beginning of the illumination is to see us, to see me. It's a, it's a God-enabled assessment of my present reality. God says, I, I know that you don't know, but I'm going to show you something about you. And the light comes on. And I say, oh, God, I'm terrible. I didn't know I was this bad. I knew I wasn't really good, but I didn't know I was this bad. And God said, you've been that bad the whole time, I'm telling you. I, 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 but, God, you've let me do this, and you've blessed me with this, and you gave me. I know, I know that's called Grace. But in order to take you here, where I want to take you, and I'm fixing to show you that in my revelation, you've got to, you've got to be willing to let me deal with this stuff right here. Is that making sense? And God said, I love you very much, but you need to be sanctified. I've got to do some work in you. So, so it begins with me showing it to you. I can't clean it if you don't know it. So you've got to be, we're going to do this together. Oh, God, I don't want to do it together. I just want you to put me to sleep like an operation, and I want to wake up better. That's how I would like to see you do this. Just put me to sleep, and I'll just lay there, and then I'll wake up. Or I just want to go to the altar, and the pastor lay his hands on me, and the fire of God run through me, and all of a sudden I'm perfect. And I go, this is great, God. He said, no, we're not going to do it that way. We're going to do it where you have enemies and opposition positions and struggles and God I don't like your plan I like my plan he said I know but it's I'm, I'm God and you're not God and so I get to decide how we do this but God it's me we're talking about here I should have some say so he says and you do you can say yes or no and you can say yes and we can do it pretty quick or you can say no and I can drag you through the briars how do you want to do this and I'm saying but God just turn the light off so I don't know it anymore. He says, it's too late. You've seen it now. Did I just have a conversation with myself? Yeah. All right. Here's, so what happens is, what happens is this incredible process that a loving God takes us through to make us better than we are, and we can't begin the process until he shows us we're not as good as we thought we were. It's a discouraging part of the process sometimes. It's the truth about me. Sometimes it's the truth about us. Sometimes it's the truth about my family. Oh, pastor, don't go there, please. No. You know what I've learned? I've learned that until a family knows they're dysfunctional, they're going to remain dysfunctional. There has to be that moment of divine revelation where I'm, I'm praying for somebody, and I've, and I've watched their family, and I know they're really messed up. And I've preached some good stuff, but it hadn't dawned on them. They hadn't got it. They still think messed up is normal because messed up is how they grew up. And the family before them was messed up. So they feel like messed up, this is how you do marriage. Well, it's not the best way. I'm telling you, there's other ways that are better. This is how you raise kids. Well, that's, you know. The result's not going to be what you hoped it would be. And they're living in this messed up, dysfunctional world, but they believe it's normal. And you talk to them, and they look at you like the old deer in the headlight thing. I don't know what's happening here. You're about to die. That's what's happening here. And, and you have this moment, and they don't get it. They're not aware. And then, and then suddenly, God turns their light on. And they come in, and they say, Pastor, our family's really dysfunctional. Really? The whole church already knew it. You're the last one to be made aware. But until they have that revelation, there will never be change. You with me? 
sometimes, you know, I spent 10 years as district superintendent for North Texas, and, and I'll tell you, I dealt with a lot of churches. And I walked in a number of churches who were so messed up, they hadn't won a soul in years. They... They, they thought they were a great church. They'd tell me, oh, we're a great church. And I'd go there. I'd say, how can a church be great and go four years without winning anybody to Jesus? That means you're not even winning your own children to Jesus. I'm telling you, you're a broken church. No, we're a good church. Compared to what? That's what I want to know. And what I realized is they needed a divine revelation of what a good church was and what they were. Is that making sense? This idea, y'all have got this by now. This idea is this moment where God says, I've got something much better for you, but it begins by the light coming on to show you where you are. So when the light first came on, it revealed the mess. It revealed the emptiness. It revealed the dysfunction. You looked over and said, oh, God, that is terrible. There is nothing valuable there. God said, no, there's a lot valuable there, but in the state that it's in, it can't produce at the level I have planned for. But the first thing you see is reality. Number two, the second part of the revelation is always him. I mean, when, God, when I see me, I go, oh, God, I'm so bad. I'm so messed up. I could never be anything. And God says, well, that's not true. That would be true if it were up to you to become something, son. But if it's up to me to make you something, I'm a better God than you are a sinner. Really? Really. Let me show you some things about me that you haven't known. And every revelation that leads me forward first begins with me seeing me, but the second step is God saying, look at me. See how big. See what a God I am. He never, in, never let the revelation end with you. Let's say, okay, God, I've seen me. It's pretty bad. I want to see you now. And when you begin to see God in ways you've never seen God before, that's a part of the revelation. He shows you power he has that you knew he had it, but you didn't grasp how much it really was. He shows you things about his nature, things about his ability to forgive and his desire to forgive, his, his grace and the fullness of his mercy. And you begin to see this loving, powerful God, and he begins to show you himself. And now I've seen me, which is discouraging. I see him, which is very encouraging. And I begin to realize that, hey, God's a big enough God to reach into where I am and take me from where I am to where he wants me to be. That revelation of God is a part of the light coming on. I didn't just see the mess, but from the mess I looked back, and when the light came on, I could see God. Never seen God like that. Wow. I see his will, and I like it. I see his power. I'm a little intimidated, but I'm mostly excited. I see his wealth. I see his ability to pay for everything he said he wanted to do. Boy, that matters. I see all of this fullness of God. That's a part of the revelation. I'll wrap up with that. The third thing I see is that God wants to show me his intended future for me, his intended future for our church, his intended future for his church, his intended future for our nation. God has... God has a vision for us to set before us that actually becomes for us the direction of our destination. He said, this is where you are, but this is what I'm going to make you to be. And I know that what I'm going to make you to be is a long ways from where you are. But remember how big I am. I can make this happen if you'll trust in me. He gives us the big picture. He shows us our part of it, my part of it. 
He begins to give us all of this by his power. And we begin to understand things we could not understand and grasp things and believe things. And when that begins to happen, after I've walked in a new level of this revelation from God, my faith begins to go up. My expectation begins to go up. My obedience begins to go up. Things begin to change in me because the level of my revelation determines the level of my involvement. I'll deal with that more later. Everything changes when revelation changes. Everything changes when he says, let there be light. Wow. We begin to understand the power of this. This vision that must be enabled by God-given revelation. I love it in Luke chapter 24, verse 45. We have the, we have the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus joins them on their journey. Jesus has been resurrected. He's not yet ascended. He doesn't just live with them like he did on the, on the other side of his resurrection, but he shows up at key and cool times. This is one of those moments. They're walking. They're discussing the fact he was crucified. They're discussing the fact that some people have said the tomb is empty and he's been raised from the dead. They're discussing that reality, and they're not even sure what they believe. Jesus joins them. And here's what it says. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scripture. Well, what does that mean? That means that they had not got it yet. They had read the Scripture, and they knew the Scripture, but they didn't understand the Scripture. It goes on to say, He told them about Himself from the beginning through the prophets, all of it. He just laid it out until they got it, and they understood it. But that, that was done before, but they didn't get it until He opened their minds. There's something about the divine revelation where God suddenly gives us the ability to grasp what I couldn't grasp four minutes ago, to see what I couldn't see last year, to understand what I just couldn't understand. We have to understand this. We have to understand that, pr that practical learning takes place in levels. When I go to school in the first grade, they don't teach me calculus. God bless them. They teach me how to count to ten and how in our decimal system you can count to ten ten times and you have a hundred. And here's how it works. And once you understand that, you can count to a thousand. And once you've got this, you can count all the way into trillions and zillions. And, and if you don't believe it, just look at our national debt. We are good at this. Another sermon for another day. And so, and so we have this. We learn. So that's what I learned. I get, I get later on in the first grade, they start teaching me that I can take this group of numbers, add it to this group of numbers, and come up with this number. We call it addition. I go home and say, Mom and Dad, did you know you could add two numbers together? It's the coolest thing. You can have two apples and then two more apples, and you put them together, and you have four apples. My mom and dad go, oh, he's finally learning something. And so that's learning. Well, that's a level. But I don't learn at all. I, then I have to go to the second grade. And they begin to teach me about, about subtraction. And finally, I get into whatever grade it is. I don't have a clue. But multiplication and division. And then they take me into algebra. And they put my alphabet that I've been learning in another class in the middle of my mathematics. And they mess me up. And it takes two years before I comprehend it. How you can have A plus A equals 12. I do not get that. You have to have a special gift to go there. And so they're trying to give me revelation because they're teaching me in levels. Is 
that making sense? And sometimes in our life, God teaches us in levels. He teaches us something, and we think, oh, I got it now. And I prove this to you. I have a six-year-old grandson. He just, he just turned six, and he started, he started his, uh, his kindergarten this year when he was still five. And, and he's there, and he came home, and he told his mom, Mom, I'm not going back tomorrow. She said, why not? He said, they have nothing. They've taught me nothing I didn't already know. This is a waste of my time. They're trying to teach us the ABCs. I already know the ABCs. I can already count to 100. These people don't know anything. I'm telling you, Mom. Because he believes he's there. And sometimes in our walk with God, we believe we're there. Let me help you. You're not there yet. You're at a level. And God wants to use that level to teach you something else you don't know yet. And then from that level, he wants to teach you something else. Isn't that, you know, we have a good God. But sometimes God looks at some of us rather slower people, and he said, you're not ever going to get this because your mind is just not up to it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to touch your mind, and I'm going to open it. And suddenly you can see things you've never seen and understood things you've never known. I can give you the capacity to grasp what you've never had the capacity to grasp before. And when I'm ready to take you to a new level like those disciples, boys, I've been with you the whole time, and you've been a little slow. You've not kept up. But I'm going to touch your minds, and then I'm going to show you what I've already shown you, only now you're going to get it. And I need to do this because I'm about to go away. And I've got a plan for you, and I've called you for a purpose. And this divine moment of divine revelation releases us to a whole new level of living. Y'all still with me? So that's why the prayer in Psalms 119.18 says, open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your law. Boy, we should start every, every day like that. God, Open my eyes. Open my eyes. Let me see. Let me see. Ephesians 1.18, Paul says when he's praying, we're going to close with this in a minute, but 1.18 says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. He's praying for his church. He said, guys, I can only show you what you can see anyway. Without divine revelation, I'm going to take you so far. So I've been praying for you that the eyes of your heart your spiritual man, your soul would be open. That you would see. I'll, 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 I'll give you that whole thing in a minute. See, Revelation always includes all of these. But let's talk a little more. Are y'all still with me? We're still, it's not, it's not 1130 yet? Good. Good. So in Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So they're repeating what everybody else is saying. Jesus was not impressed. He said, what about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter stands up. He gets the attention. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. 
What's he saying? That on Peter he would build his church? No, can't be, because Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. So what's he trying to say? He's saying, this was revealed to you by my Father in heaven, and on this rock I'll build my church. The church advances at the rate of divine revelation. The church is built on the supernatural revelation of God. Oh, if I had a whole hour and then we could just pull out a blackboard and go to work. Let me just show you this. None of us, none of us come to Jesus unless the Spirit draws us. You have been operating in divine revelation for a long time, whether you knew it or not. It's divine revelation that exposed you and revealed to you Jesus really is Lord. It's divine revelation that exposes to you that you're a sinner that needed the grace of God to forgive you. It's the work of that divine peace of showing you when the Holy Spirit came on you and he showed you what a sinner you were. That's that very part of the process. All of a sudden, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I'm a sinner. I deserve to go to hell. I'm a sinner. Oh, no. I thought I was good and righteous and all the good I did. Then I realized I'm actually a sinner. I have inherited sin and I have some sins I've done all by myself. And I've got sin in me. And I am. that's the divine revelation of God. You're working in it. And then he reveals himself to you. You're a sinner, but hey, I'm a savior. And he reveals his power to forgive and his power to save. That's all the activity of the revelation of God. Say, well, I got it because of the word of God. Well, the word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And when the word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit goes to work on us, we see ourselves correctly when we're sinners and we see God as a savior and we see God has something better for our life than what we're at. That's all the revelation of God. What God does is he goes from level to level with the divine revelation. Then there's that moment in my life where God revealed to me, I want you to be full-time. I'm in my ministry. I'm calling you to be a preacher. I'm calling you to be an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, one of those in, the, in Ephesians 4. I'm calling you to that. I'm calling you out. I'm call- and that was a revelation to me. And I'm saying, God, you are really hard up for leaders. He said, you wouldn't believe, buddy, <laughs> what I have to deal with. And so he pulled me up and he calls me. And then I say, God, I can't do this. He said, that's why I called you, because I'm going to use the weak to confound the strong and the foolish to confound the wise. It's not about you, but it's my revelation at work in you. I'm just looking for somebody that can listen. For somebody that can see. Wow. He said, this is how I build my church. I've watched churches operate at a level of understanding, a level of revelation for a long time until they become almost dormant and, and, it, and it didn't seem to be any life. And then And then suddenly a new revelation comes. Suddenly they see faith different. Suddenly suddenly they see the Holy Spirit's work different. Suddenly they see the priority of the Bible different. And those things begin to shift. The next thing you know, that church begins to explode. People are coming in all over. Things are happening. You say, what happened? They have a new revelation. They see their God as something different than they saw him last year. There's a shift. Well, they already knew. Yeah, they had this level, but God used that level to show them this level. And we see the shift. A divine moment in my own life. I can tell you there are times in the mornings I've been in my prayer time, and God said, let me show you something you hadn't seen. Boom. 
And that new level of understanding literally allows me to begin to go in my walk with him to a new place. Even in the effectiveness of the ministry God's called me to. Even in how I lead my family. I see those shifts come when those divine moments of let there be light happen in my life. That's why Paul prayed it for us. That's why in Ephesians 1.18 he prayed. And I'm not sure I gave you the whole scripture. So you may just have to listen to me. It's also actually in the Bible if you wanted to look it up. <laughs> It's kind of old-fashioned, but it still works. <laughs> I like that because even if the battery runs down, my Bible still works. That's pretty cool, even though I'm obviously <laughs> using a battery-operated Bible this morning. And so, <clears throat> Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Did you know God has something he's hoping you'll do? And he wants to show you what he's hoping. Wow. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That's he wants to show us us. He wants to show us our purpose. And he wants to show us himself. That's all in that passage. There it is. But then he says this, Paul's writing, the anointing of the Holy Spirit's all over him, and he just can't stop there. He says, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul just couldn't stop. <laughs> What's he saying to us? He said, look at this picture I just painted for you. Jesus had died. He had went into death, and he was in the pit of death. And all the principalities and all the powers of the air and all the spiritual wickedness and all that is evil and everything that can be named was doing all they could to keep him dead. But God, in his power, reached through every bit of that nonsense and reached right in and took Jesus and began to lift him up. And every power of hell doing everything they could to keep him from doing it couldn't even slow him down. And he pulled Jesus all the way out. And he didn't just bring him back to earth. He brought him all the way up and seated him at his own right hand, giving him authority over everything. Now, why did I tell you that? Because the same God that did that for Jesus wants to do that for you. He wants to reach into your world, into your mess, and know demon can stop him, no authority in hell, no lack of money, nothing can get in the way of the activity of God who will pull you right up and take you not where people think you belong, but where God has prepared a place for you and seat you in the place he hopes you will be in. That's what he's saying. Only Paul said it better, but I had to add on to it just in case you missed it. But sometimes, sometimes we get so caught up in the pit we're in that we don't have the faith to let God put us in the place he has prepared for us. He's saying to us, 
Can you see me? Paul is praying. I'm praying that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. That you would see the hope, but the hope wouldn't be so far from you that you say, oh, God, I can't do that. But that you would also see the power of a God who is able to fulfill what he's showing you. Wow. David's revelation of God. Just think about this. You can see the different levels of revelation people operate in. David's revelation of God. He comes down from his daddy's house, taking care of the sheep, being that guy. And he comes to deliver some cheese and bread to his brothers who are the, war- are the warriors of Israel. They're a part of the army. And he comes, he brings it, and he comes up on the scene of Goliath. You know the story. And Goliath has for 40 days in a row, morning and evening, come out to mock and make fun of God and to challenge the soldiers of Israel. He walks up on that moment, not knowing he's walking up on the 80th time this has happened. He thinks it's the first time. He thinks, oh, this is going to be good. I mean, some demonically inspired idiot has now walked out in front of the army of God. Who does he think he is? These guys are going to run down and shred him to pieces, and the kingdom of God is going to, this is going to be great. And he walks up, and he said, who's going to go get him? And they said, shut up. Can you, I don't know, y'all might not use that word up north. Down south, we still use it. And so he said, be quiet. What do you know? You're just a little runt of a kid. You're the baby of the group. Why bring you in here with your arrogance and talk like that to us? That, that's what people say who have no revelation. That's the way people with no revelation treat people with revelation. This part's good, but I'm not going to preach it out. But you know what to do with it. And David said, so what's going to be given to the man that takes this job? They said, well, first of all, his family's going to be tax-free. Folks, if he lived in America, they'd be fighting over the opportunity to go down and fight that thing. He said, number two, he gets to marry the king's daughter. He said, what's she look like? He didn't, I don't know if he really said that, but I followed David's history. I'm telling you, he thought that. And so, uh, <clears throat> he said, he gets to marry the king's daughter. He said, really? He said, where's the king? And he goes to Saul and he says, and you look at all this and you say, why is this kid doing what nobody in the entire army is doing? Here's the key. He had been down in the place where he's caring for the sheep where he had learned God in a place alone. In private, he had fallen in love with God. He had a revelation of God. He wrote songs to God. He worshiped God. He's a worshiper, not a warrior. But his revelation of God, not his trained ability as a warrior. At this point, the only training he had was wrestling with bears and lions, which, by the way, is pretty good training if you're going into battle. He had this. He knew how to use a sling. He didn't know how to use a sword. He didn't know how to hold a shield. He didn't know how to wear the armor of the king. He wasn't good at any of that. What he was good at was knowing that his God was bigger than any other enemy on the battlefield. He brought that level of revelation into that moment. 
What would happen if we begin to take a new level of revelation into every moment we walk into? What if we were to hear all about all the ground the devil's gained when it comes to the the homosexual agendas and when it comes to all this other stuff we deal with and all this liberal stuff, which it's really just sinful stuff. Let's just call it by its name. And we see all that advance and we say, oh, no, the devil's advancing. Yeah, but he may be advancing, but he's not any stronger today than he was yesterday. And it's still greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. What if we begin to walk at a level of revelation that we should be walking in? What if we are exactly what it was when the two spies went with the other ten and they the other ten said, I see the giants and I see all the walled cities and all the enemy and they see, here's what we see. We see the promise of God. Sure enough, the grapes are as big as softballs. Well, they didn't really say that. I made that up. What they say though is that land is flowing with milk and honey and everything God said. And if everything God said is there, then everything God said he would do, he can do. And we believe our God is more than able for us to take down those giants. They saw it from a different revelation. So what happens when we begin to see through fresh revelation? Seeing it through the eyes of a God who has opened the eyes of our heart. Because your revelation affects how you see everything you walk into. It affects how you see your family. It affects how you see yourself. It affects how you see your church. It affects how you see your city and your state. It affects how you see your... There is nothing that it does not affect. The level of your revelation of yourself, God, and your potential also opens your eyes to see other things. You begin to see the enemy when the enemy's been hiding in the weeds and nobody else recognizes it's the enemy because he dressed up, he's a wolf in sheep's clothes. And everybody says, oh, no, there's a nice new sheep. But your revelation lets you see past all that. You say, no, that's a wolf. You people can't even see it. When the devil comes in one way, you say, that's the devil. You begin to walk at a whole different level of rep. What would happen today if across the United States of America, the Lord would have say to his church, let there be light. And we were begin to see like we've never seen and understand like we've not understood? What if every one of us experienced fresh divine revelation? What would happen in the church? We would not be intimidated. We would walk out in wisdom. We'd walk out in righteousness, and we would see the hope to which we have been called. And I'll tell you what God's hoping for the church of the United States of America, that we will be the church God has called us to be, the church that the gates of hell do not prevail against, the church that takes back what belongs to God and redeems the lost. The church that loves every sinner no matter what their sin. But that believes God can deliver no matter what their sin. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I wrap this up with a simple question. What are you seeing now? When you open your eyes and look around, what do you see? Do you see the giants more than you see the promise? Do you see yourself as already arrived more than you see the fact that you're simply at a level? What do you see when you look around? How do you see those around you? How do you see the Word of God and the promises? How do you see that whatever revelation you're at at is the lid to your walk with God? And the only way to go up a notch is to have more revelation. Bartimaeus cried out. Jesus was coming by. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. They said, quiet down, quiet down. There's a lot of people. He said, I'm not quieting down. I've been blind long enough. 
Jesus, son of David, aggressively, have mercy on me. Again, he screamed. Jesus said, bring that man to me. He said, what can I do for you? He said, Lord, I want to see. I want to see. None of us are completely spiritual blind. But we live in a world that is being led by blind people leading blind people. That's what he said. That's how he described the blind leading the blind. And we all have some level of revelation. I, I, I have pretty good eyes, but as I got older, I noticed that the words on my Bible were required to be four feet from me for me to read them. And then that was so far I couldn't see them. So I went and bought these. You can get them at Walmart. Now, I know if you eye doctors are telling me that I shouldn't go there, I should come to you, and you should check to make sure I really have other, I don't have other issues. And, and I totally agree with you. But Walmart is a lot cheaper than you. So I, I go to Walmart, and I buy these glasses. And I bought the first pair, and they were 125s, and they worked. They were incredible. And then one day, 125s were just not enough. I said, these printers have got to quit printing such small print. One day I said, the church bulletin is being made by 20-year-olds. Us grown-ups need a little bigger print in our bulletin. And then I finally I worked my helmet at 175. These 175s allow me to read this screen so easy. And part of it is because I can make the text on the screen as big as I want to. But between the two of us, we're doing good. And sometimes in our spiritual walk, through time, the revelation we once had, we don't have. We need God to give us some new glasses to look through. And sometimes the revelation we had, we still have, but it's time for a new level of revelation. Most of us. Most of us need to join Bartimaeus and say, Lord, that I might see. In our case, it's not that I don't see, but I'm like that other guy you healed. I see But men look like trees walking around. I want to see more and clearer. I know when you turn the light on, I'm going to see things about me I don't like. I'm ready for that. Pastor Rick told me to expect it. That needs to happen too. But I want to see you like I've never seen you before. I'll wrap it up with this little story. I'm reading through the scripture. I get to Isaiah chapter 6. And he says, I saw the Lord. I love that. What a great revelation. And when he got there, he saw these four guys, and they're flying around the throne room. And as they would fly, they would cry one to the other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Y'all read it, right? And so the first one cries to the one across from him, and he says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And he says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord from here too. And then another one He's even holy from over here. Well, he's holy from over here. Holy, holy, holy. And then they begin to move. They look up. Oh, man, look how holy God is from this viewpoint. And they just keep seeing God like they saw him for the first time. They just keep walking in new revelation or flying in new revelation. 
And they just keep declaring how holy God is as though they just dawned on him he was holy. As though they just saw him for the first time as holy. And they're crying one to the other. And they just, they keep it going. It's like they're living in this new revelation, constantly new revelation and new excitement declaring holy. And I thought, that's pretty cool. And then I'm reading Revelation 4,000 years later. John is there. And he said, there were these four dudes flying in a circle, declaring, holy, holy is the Lord. One to the other. It almost seemed as though they had seen him for the first time. I said, so 4,000 years of flying in circles around God, and you're still amazed with how holy he is, as though you had never seen it before. That means there's a constant opportunity for continued revelation of God. And we are still living in last year's revelation, and we've lost our holy, holy is the Lord because we haven't seen him fresh and new in a while. I'm telling you, God is moving you to new positions, new opportunities, and new perspectives so that you can see God in a way you have never seen God before. You say, God, I don't want to go over there. I know you don't want to go over there, but you're going to see me from there like you've never seen me before, and I'm going to restore your worship and your passion, and you're going to change, and about the time that one wears off, I'm going to move you to a new place, and I'm going to put you in a new perspective, and you're going to see again. God is ready for us to have fresh revelation of who He is. It changes everything. Fresh revelation of our purpose. Fresh revelation of our reality. How many of you would join Bartimaeus and say, Oh God, that I might see. That I might see. Won't you just stand with me, all of us. You've been seated a while, and I have two minutes left before my shoes turn back from glass to whatever. We love you, Jesus. We love you so much. I am so grateful that you did see us as we really are. And you still came to rescue us. You saw us in our sin and in our evil and our selfishness and all that is wrong with us. And you did not destroy us, but you determined to redeem us, seeing us like we are. Thank you. Lord, I also thank you that you don't show us everything wrong with us all at once. It would be too much. But that layer by layer, you peel it back and show us a little more and give us a little more revelation and a little more sanctification and a little more work and that you can show us a little more of what you've called us to do. And it won't be till we get to the end that we look back and say, wow, look what the Lord has done. But at each level of revelation, there's a little more. And God, we know this. We can't move forward if you don't say, let there be light. It all begins with you. We join Paul's prayer. May the eyes of our heart be enlightened. In Jesus' name, Lord, that I might see. Open my eyes. Just lift your hands up. Just lift them straight up. And just say to the Lord, let me see what I've not seen. Just ask Him. Show me what I don't even know is there. Look into my world and say, let there be light. I want to see Jesus. I want a new revelation. I want to know you like I've never known you. I want to be like David walking into a room because I'm at a different revelation. Lord, I pray that this prayer they're praying, you would answer it. 
with yes, because I want to do that. In Jesus' name. While you stand there with your your eyes still closed, I'm going to ask you a question. You came today and you're not, a, you're not what we would call a Christian. You, you haven't been born again. You haven't had that moment where you surrender your sin to the Lord and receive Him as Savior. It's a real moment. It has to happen. There has to be a moment where all of this work Jesus is doing in us to bring us revelation of our sin and revelation of the fact that He really did die and He really rose to the dead. It has to bring us to a moment where we speak it with our mouth. The Scripture says you believe it in your heart then you declare it with your mouth, and then you're saved. And if you've not stepped over that line, but God's already at work in you, I want to have special prayer for you. Some of you are saying, God is trying to show me my sin in Himself. There's something going on in me. I don't completely get it yet. But I want you to pray that the rest of that revelation will come. Because whatever God's trying to do, I'm not against God. I want the will of God in my life. And I'm in that process, and I want that process to be completed. Maybe today's not your day. You're not quite there yet, but you're close. But the other side of that is you're probably really there. It's probably really time. This morning, if you're ready to receive Christ as your Savior, just right where you're standing, hold up your hand. I'm, I'm going to look across the crowd. If this is your moment, you've come today, you're ready. I don't want to keep you from having the moment. Those in the balcony, I can't see as well, but I think I see a hand there. Thank you. I think I see another hand there. Thank you. I see one here. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Who else this morning? You're ready. Oh, you're ready. God's got you ready. You know it's true. All right, you can put your hands down. We as a church are going to pray a prayer. What I want you to do is pray this prayer from your heart while we pray it too. And if you believe in your heart and pray with your mouth, you are about to step out of the old and into the new. Scripture calls it being born again. You're going to experience something pretty dynamic. But from the moment you declare your faith, your name is going to be written in the Lamb's book of life, and everything is going to begin to shift. Your tomorrow is going to be different than today. You're going to begin to walk in even more revelation than you have. So let's all pray together. Join me, church. Say, Dear Jesus. I believe in you. I believe you died for my sin. I believe you rose from the dead. And I believe I'm a sinner. And I need your forgiveness. And I need your life in me. I submit to you. I believe in you. And I receive your forgiveness. And right now, I declare I'm a new creature in Christ. I've been born again. I'm a Christian. From this day forward, with your help, Lord, I'm going to live for you and fulfill the hope to which I've been called. In Jesus' name. Wow, give the Lord a big hand.